Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, December 9th, 2022. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, this is going to make the situation in the gaming industry downright chaotic. The FTC has sued to block Microsoft's $69 billion Activision Blizzard acquisition. Sam Bankman-Fried says he's going to testify under oath before Congress why the salute emoji is hands down the symbol of the year 2022. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Well, this is really throwing the chessboard up in the air. The FTC is officially suing to block Microsoft's $69 billion Activision Blizzard acquisition, charging that the deal announced back in January may suppress Microsoft's gaming competitors, quoting the Washington Post. The Federal Trade Commission on Thursday took its most aggressive actions since Lena Khan became chair to rein in the power of big tech, pursuing a lawsuit to block Microsoft's acquisition of a game developer on the same day it opened arguments in another case against Meta's purchase of a virtual reality startup. In both cases, the FTC argued that the acquisitions would squash future innovation in emerging gaming markets, a relatively novel interpretation of antitrust law that Khan and her allies have championed as they seek to usher in an era of competition enforcement. The complaints follow long-running criticism that federal regulators have not been forward-looking enough in evaluating deals in Silicon Valley, allowing tech titans to dominate by gobbling up their much smaller rivals. The FTC suit against Microsoft would block the company's $69 billion acquisition of the video game publisher Activision Blizzard, charging that the deal would allow the Redmond Washington tech giant to suppress its competitors in gaming. If the FTC's lawsuit prevails, it would foil Microsoft's ambitions to become a heavier hitter in the gaming industry. Activision is the owner of popular titles such as Candy Crush and Call of Duty, and its acquisition could bolster Microsoft in its competition with Japanese console makers Nintendo and Sony. Shortly after the commission took action in Washington on a three-to-one party-line vote to sue Microsoft, lawyers for the FTC in San Jose argued that Facebook parent company Meta is squashing competition in the niche market of virtual reality-powered fitness apps by buying the maker of the popular VR workout game Supernatural. The case comes as enforcers have signaled during the Biden administration that they plan to more frequently bring long-shot cases against companies to court even when there's a risk they could lose. The joint actions signal that the newly empowered Democrats at the FTC are starting to unleash an agenda that could have far-reaching consequences for the world's most powerful tech companies following months of partisan gridlock that blunted Khan's ambitions. If the FTC is successful, it will be a major blow to the biggest attempted deal in gaming history. And the suit itself is another clear signal from the agency that any big tech company looking to buy a smaller one should be wary, end quote. Key detail from this piece, though, quoting again, the agency is not seeking a preliminary injunction to stop the deal from closing, so the two parties are still likely to close, end quote. And then quoting Tim Basinger on Twitter, a bit more context on this. As with the MGM-Amazon merger, the FTC did not approve that merger but let the deadline pass. It has the authority, if it wants, to try to block mergers after they close, end quote. Putting this on your radar so you can stock up on popcorn, I guess. Sam Bankman-Fried has agreed to testify before a House committee on December 13th, but has remained quiet about a request from a Senate committee which could issue a subpoena. Quoting CNBC, 
There's been a lot of back and forth in Washington over whether lawmakers would have to subpoena Bankman-Fried, who said he would voluntarily testify since the committee, quote, still thinks it would be useful, end quote. It was unclear whether he would show up on Capitol Hill in person or stay in the Bahamas, where he's been holed up for much of the time since his company filed for bankruptcy last month, holding interviews with reporters. The ex-CEO of FTX has been on a media blitz the last month, talking about the implosion of his crypto empire, but this will be the first time the public has the chance to hear from SBF under oath. Bankman-Fried wrote in a Twitter thread that he still did not have access to much of his data, professional or personal, so there was a, quote, limit to what he would be able to say. Quote, I won't be as helpful as I'd like, but as the committee still thinks it would be useful, I am willing to testify on the 13th. He continued in the post, end quote. Lots of year-end lists coming out right now, of course, like there are every year, best movies, best albums. But what about Emoji of the Year? Well, Rolling Stone makes the excellent point that there's really only one candidate. The Salute Emoji, quote, In the end, no emoji was better suited for the ups and downs of 2022 than the saluting face. Everyone from an ex-pro Call of Duty gamer to a Berkeley City Council member to musician Zafani Zhang found themselves obsessed with the stalwart little expression. More than one fan has claimed that the emoji changed their lives, helping them persevere through trial and tribulation. Recently, the saluting face became a symbol of solidarity among Twitter employees fired by incoming CEO and owner Elon Musk, as well as those who quit in protest of his frenetic management style. It became such a common shorthand for leaving the company that it appeared hundreds of times in internal Slack channels as remaining staff members opted for a three-month severance rather than continue working nonstop to achieve Musk's ever-shifting objectives. In that moment, an emoji often deployed with a dose of irony turned curiously sincere. As laid-off designer Audrey Davis observed, she never thought the saluting face would make her sob. It had the air of going down with the ship, of defying a capricious billionaire, though most of all, it said, it has been an honor to serve with you. The salute as farewell and a final bid of respect, end quote. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance, so literally no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed credible doctors and specialists. I have personally used ZocDoc to find a podiatrist when I needed one for the first time ever in my life. Go to ZocDoc.com techmeme and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash techmeme. ZocDoc.com slash techmeme. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. 
These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months, or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. Time for the weekend long read suggestions. First up, okay. All of this new AI stuff, especially ChatGPT, it seems pretty cool, right? But it also, as I've said a couple times, has the potential, if you squint at it a certain way, as coming off as maybe a party trick, a gimmick. Well, this piece from the Wall Street Journal points out that natural language processing algorithms could slash the time required to bring new pharmaceutical drugs to market. That would be useful. Quote, Proteins are made up of dozens to thousands of small chemical subunits known as amino acids, and scientists use special notation to document the sequences. With each amino acid corresponding to a single letter of the alphabet, proteins are represented as long-sequence-like combinations. Natural language algorithms, which quickly analyze language and predict the next step in a conversation, can also be applied to this biological data to create protein language models. The models encode what might be called the grammar of proteins, the rules that govern which amino acid combinations yield specific therapeutic properties, to predict the sequences of letters that could become the basis of new drug molecules. As a result, the time required for the early stages of drug discovery could shrink from years to months. Nature has provided us with tons of examples of proteins that have been designed exquisitely with a variety of functions says Ali Madani, founder of ProFluent Bio, a Berkeley, California-based startup focused on language-based protein design. We're learning the blueprint from nature, end quote. Then chalk this up to another tech niche that is seeing bad times all of a sudden in 2022. Esports, quoting Bloomberg. Sports business billionaires and gaming executives had hopes that esports could one day scale into an organization like the National Basketball Association. But after a boom five years ago, several prominent esports teams and organizations, particularly in the U.S., are contracting. The result of a broad economic downturn, a venture capital industry that's no longer willing to accept growth without profits, and a crypto meltdown that has undercut a significant source of backing. Investors who were once eager to get in early on what was expected to be a booming industry are now scrutinizing the business fundamentals and not much liking what they see. In 2018, a record $4.5 billion was invested in the industry, including from private equity firms jumping in for the first time, according to a report by Deloitte. That bounty has faded, and venture capital investment in esports is the lowest it's been since 2016, excluding 2020 when pandemic restrictions threw into question the viability of live esports tournaments, according to data provided by PitchBook. End quote. Next, y'all know I'm an e-ink tablet fan because of the remarkable, but what can you do with e-ink tablets besides just write and sketch? What would be possible if hand-drawn sketches were programmable like spreadsheets? 
That's the question posed by this piece from Ink and Switch. Quote, Spreadsheets support gradual enrichment by allowing you to quickly put text and numbers in arbitrary boxes as if using a pen and graph paper, do some basic math as if using a calculator, move things into neat rows and columns when you find yourself making comparisons, and add more formula-driven cells and labels if and when necessary as your model evolves, incrementally building dynamic complexity over time. You might eventually polish the formatting, clearly label input cells, and turn the model into a reusable piece of situated software. Each bit of effort to refine the model is a small investment made in a moment when the payoff is immediate. We want a digital pen and paper that maintains as many of the above attributes as possible, but with all of the benefits of a dynamic digital medium. The most important being programmability, describing new behaviors for a sketchbook to take on, automating and processing, and simulating, end quote. Read the whole thing for some amazing possible use cases they mentioned, like, for example, a furniture designer could sketch a pattern for a table leg. After they decide they love a pattern that repeats a vine figure and a spiral down the leg, they automate the hand-drawn spiral pattern so they can try out different vine shapes instantly as they sketch. This helps them explore the design space quickly and stumble on entirely new designs. Or let's say an engineer on a circuit design team is trying to illustrate to a colleague how their signal processing might be flawed. They roughly sketch what an incoming signal might look like and then program in a model of what the circuit will do. The engineers take turns sketching on the page, trying out different signals and models, coming to a shared understanding of the problem. This would be frigging wild if they could pull stuff like this off. Then, did you know that the original story that led to the collapse of FTX was published by Coindesk? Did you know that Coindesk is owned by DCG, which is run by Barry Silbert? If so, you might also remember that DCG is one of the creditors trying to get their money back from FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried, which might be lost. Imagine that. Your own journalism arm publishes a story and blows up the business that runs the journalism arm. Well, now Coindesk is up for sale to try to raise some much-needed funds for its parent company, quoting The Verge. Everyone I spoke to at Coindesk, whether on or off the record, wanted to emphasize that Coindesk has editorial independence. No shit. Under what other circumstances would journalists blow up their imperiled sister company? I found the defensiveness surprising because I am a fan of Coindesk. There are other crypto outlets that employ journalists I respect, but I actually visit the Coindesk front page just to see what's up, which is why I'm anxious about the specter of a buyout since there's no guarantee new owners will continue to let it thrive as DCG is done. Like, what if the monsters at Alden Global Capital buy it? End quote. Then in recent weeks, you might have seen the image doing the rounds on social media. It's a picture of 54 white crossover SUVs that all kind of look identical, despite the fact that they were made and designed by dozens of different car manufacturers. Is design dead? That's what this piece by Driving Conformity asks. Quote, We think we want a huge variety of options, but variety cripples our ability to make easy decisions. Car companies give the illusion of variety while keeping the actual categories very basic. This is why you only get five color options instead of choosing from a Pantone book. Deciding between red and white is easy compared to deciding between fire red or cherry red. Sometimes even the broad categories aren't enough to completely eliminate the indecision of the fickle customer. To satisfy consumers who couldn't decide between a truck, car, van, or SUV, a new category was created. It is called the crossover. The crossover is the ultimate one-size-fits-all product. It is a truck without being a truck. It is a car without being a car. It is an SUV without being an SUV. It is a minivan without being a minivan. It is fast, yet fuel-efficient, yet powerful, yet roomy, yet safe. 
It is as if the car companies took the wish list of every consumer type and Frankensteined it all together in a single vehicle. Industry analyst Horace Deju describes the categorization of the car landscape like this, quote, They have the same bunch of cars, the same sizes, same cookie cutter as everyone else, and they are all built using the same process. It's the same process, it's the same cost structure, it's the same quality, so you can't differentiate anymore, end quote. If you squint at a crossover, you can impose whatever vehicle you want onto its bland exterior. It has the rounded lines of a car, it has the rugged stance of an SUV, it has the extended rear end of a station wagon, it has the space-maximizing bubble shape of a minivan. It doesn't have a flat bed, but add a hitch and a towing package and your internal truck voice will be satisfied. The only major identifying mark on the car is the logo on the front and rear of the crossover. Brands are shortcuts that map to categories in our mind. We are so brainwashed by brand messages that we no longer see the inherent meaning in the products we buy. We don't look for the car with the best-built engine. We look for the logo that has been linked in the collective cultural consciousness with build quality. Imagine if all the crossovers pictured looked dramatically different. All of a sudden, the purchasing decision gets hard. If I consider myself a Toyota person, but I like the body style of the Kia, I won't be able to decide. If I am looking for luxury, but the Ford looks more luxurious, I again get stuck. By homogenizing the style across all brands, every brand sells more because the decision is easier, end quote. And finally, one just for me. I love visiting places merely to run an experiment to try to discover if I could live there. That's why we recently did our weekend in Providence, Rhode Island, because, you know, if we someday leave New York City but want to stay in the Northeast, what are our options? It's also why I want to go to the Faroe Islands. If I just wanted a cabin in the middle of nowhere, literally, could I hack it out in the middle of the North Sea? And it's also why I want to go to New Zealand. I mean, we all want to go to New Zealand, right? But I really have a suspicion I would want to end up living there. Thus, the final link in the show notes today is to the latest New York Times piece, that series that they do where they tell you what it's like to spend 36 hours in a given place in the world. This time, it's Wellington, New Zealand. I very, very, very much want to go to there. All right, so our year-end bonus episode, chewing over the biggest stories of the year in the tech industry, as well as some predictions for next year, that will drop tomorrow. Come for the analysis. Stay for some personal news from Chris. Talk to you on Monday.